And welcome on into Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby and Ryan. Ryan joining the crew tonight here for your Super Sunday Night Edition of Heatwave Sports as we take you around the world of sports up until the midnight hour. And we're going to do plenty of, I like to call it the potpourri show. We're going to hit on three or four major sports and just kind of see what's going on in the landscape of the sporting world to do that with me tonight as Tommy Barton is taking this Sunday off. He's a member of the crew. He's a member of the family radio personality, Chris Wynn. Chris, you're back on the show. Heatwave Sports, baby. Always great to join you guys and always a lot of fun having a chance to to kind of bounce around uh, the latest when it comes to the world of sports, Tim. And uh, as you can expect, we're here in Vegas, right? So it just happens to be another Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And what does that mean? Well, it means more sports action to kind of uh, talk about. And uh, that was absolutely the case last night, especially here in Vegas, right, Tim, with uh, action across the board aplenty when it came to uh, UNLV basketball, as well as uh, Vegas Golden Knights hockey as well, too. And, of course, uh, you know, whether it was boxing, some MMA action as well. And then, of course, uh, going into Sunday, uh, even much more action today. So all kinds of stuff to get a chance to uh, kind of talk about with you. And Chris, you've worked in, in other radio markets and, and you worked in Orlando, which is a huge uh, sports yeah. sports town as well. But when you talk about Vegas and, you know, we've probably hit on this point numerous times over the years. And we talk about it being the entertainment capital of the world and, and how we're growing as a, as a professional sports city. But you brought it up last night, Rebel Basketball, Vegas Golden Knight Hockey, MMA, we had boxing card, and that's just on the sports side, right? Entertainment-wise, we had Metallica in town, Billy Joel. It, it's just crazy to see the way that this town is and how it exists. And for me, I'm not going to lie. I, was, I wasn't I was that I didn't think hockey could work in Las Vegas. It was a matter of they had to, to be successful to do that, and obviously they've done that. But I think sustainability-wise – when you look at everything that this town encompasses, can it support? Uh, we had Henderson Silver Knights yesterday afternoon as well. It, you know, they're talking about an NBA franchise. We obviously have the Raiders. In your mind, did you ever think it could get this big to where it could sustain every major sport? Well, to be quite frank with you, Tim, what's remarkable about the situation? I mean, to answer your question, absolutely not. Did I think that could happen here? Uh, when I came here, in 2003 to Las Vegas, the, the idea that NFL franchise would be here was absurd, right? People would think that it would be crazy to think that there would be an NFL franchise here, to think that there would be an NFL Super Bowl in Las Vegas that's going to be a reality in, in just a, a couple of years. That would be absolutely preposterous, okay? The NHL, Tim, the NHL in Las Vegas, I mean, I know I'm kind of going over the top here and people can, can hear me on the air, on the radio, talking about this and, and the way that they can obviously understand uh, I'm being a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek here and kind of being, uh, you know, a little bit sarcastic. But the NHL would be the first major franchise in Las Vegas. You have to be kidding me if all of us are being honest back in 2003, the early 2000s, right, rolling up to 2010, even, even as late as 2012, 13, or 14, or 15. It would be completely just crazy to think that the NHL would be the first one. So in a nutshell, I'll say this. Now you brought up, obviously everything else that goes on in Vegas. There's no question 
Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world for a number of reasons. It's not just because of the gaming aspect. It's because you have, you know, some of the greatest entertainers in the world that come here, whether it be a residency or whether it be just in concert, period, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you pointed that out this weekend alone, right? Metallica in town. You have Billy Joel in town at Allegiant Stadium, you know, an iconic figure in the, in the music business. And that's stuff that's been going on in Vegas for decades, right? I mean, we always had, when we talk about Vegas being the entertainment capital of the world, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about not just gaming and that type of, you know, that type of activity. We're talking about all the entertainers that have come to this town and been doing it since, since before a lot of us were born. Okay. But what's, what's kind of astounding is the scope of thing, how things have ramped up from a sports landscape in this city. And you kind of gave a synopsis of what's going on, you know, being that the Raiders are now here, being that the Vegas Golden Knights are here. It looks very possible as almost a foregone conclusion that the NBA franchise is on the way sooner than later. An MLS franchise has been discussed and looks like it's going to become a reality. We just had a, a major lacrosse league team that's owned by a bunch of high profile sports figures, right? Coming here to Las Vegas as well. You talked about the Henderson Silver Knights. We've got the Vegas Nighthawks, which is an indoor football team. Yes, Vegas has had, what, four or five uh, other types of indoor football teams that have played here. But there's another one coming, and it's coming this spring, obviously, to the Dollar Loan Center there in Henderson. You've got these brand-new, spanking-new, swanky venues in town, from T-Mobile Arena to the Dollar Loan Center to, you know, to, to, some, to T-Mobile Arena, obviously and to Allegiant Stadium, and then you've got, you know, the, the old standbys, whether it be the MGM Grand Garden, Thomas and Mack, as well as, uh, you know, uh, these other spots around town, the Orleans Arena, and some other places where they've been, they've been go-to spots. So to kind of, kind of sum up what, you, what uh, uh, the question you asked, and also to kind of give my perspective, I think it's simply, quite simply remarkable, the, the time we're living here, here in Las Vegas. They're going to be doing documentaries on it. They're going to be doing 30 for 30s on it. And we are very fortunate, in my opinion, those of us that have been here in the media and those of us that work in sports radio in this town and work in the sports media in this town to be able to be around at this time period between 2015 and 2030 or 35 when it all culminates and we end up having pretty much every major sports franchise you know, that, that all the other major cities in America have. And it's only, it's not just a matter of if, it's a matter of when that actually takes place and happens. You mentioned the, the new arena team coming in. We got, of course, the Aces are still here. Uh, a lacrosse team coming, Chris, that has some pretty, uh, a nice, pretty big, as far as finan- financial backing from the ownership. There's some big names there with the great one involved. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot in this city, and you, you mentioned the Knights being the first professional team. So this is where we're going to start tonight. We'll just seg into this. Um, before we talk about the current state of the, of the franchise and the season and, and what we've just witnessed here in the last, we'll just even talk about this week. But did you think that – all right, so the way I prefaced it was I said it wasn't that I didn't think it could work. This town was, was starving for professional sports. And, and I had seen if the model was done correctly, you know, I, having worked very closely at back in the day with the Las Vegas Wranglers franchise and, and you know, being being involved 
with the, the president of it and knowing the, the back end operations of it, I saw how successful they could have been had they were able to, to have just like any business, right? You, you know, when you have to pay rent, it has to make sense at the end of the day that it's profitable for you. And, and basically what essentially what happened, and this isn't a lie, I'm not slandering the Orleans, they screwed them. They screwed them out of, of the lease and they had nowhere to go. So um, I, I knew I knew it could work. It was just a matter of I, they had to get out to a good start. They had to be successful because this town, you, we see it. We always joke about it, Chris. But we always see people in this town jump off the bandwagon so quick and are so ready to just discard teams because they go on a losing streak. Did you think or do you agree that if had the had the the Knights been a typical franchise team, and I don't even want to get into the logistics of how it was set up, but just if had they been a typical expansion team, maybe like Seattle is right now, below 500 in the midst of a six-game losing streak, would it have still worked, Chris? Would it have still, obviously it wouldn't have taken off like that, but do you think we're still sitting here four years later talking about how uh, people look at them as one of the greatest franchises in the NFL, even though they haven't won anything yet? Well, the thing is, we can go down a couple avenues discussing this topic because, no, I don't think the support would have been as fervent, right, and as high-powered and as high-octane as it has become with the medieval maniacs, right, with the Vegas Golden Knight fans because of how things have transpired with this franchise, because of what's happened, right? It has just utterly been a wave of, you know, just, just, just unabashed support across the board for this franchise. Now, we, we all don't have a crystal ball, right? I don't, I don't know exactly what the reaction was. My feeling is, Tim, that if they had been just your typical run-of-the-mill NHL franchise that comes into the league, ends up, what, 15, 20 games under 500, is not successful on the ice, um, but maybe had, you know, personalities on the team that connected with some, with, with fans and, so fans would have favorites, but you didn't have the results on the ice. I think the the the, the long term support, and when I'm talking about long term, with respect to this franchise, I'm talking about you know one or two years or three years after they had just started, right? It would have absolutely faded. I, I think it absolutely would have faded. Um, would there have been initial novelty? Yeah, I think there still would have been initial novelty for the first couple of seasons because. It's the very first, you know, major league franchise, right? And I hesitate to compare. Look, I loved as much as you. I loved going to those Las Vegas Wrangler games. That was the team that I remember here in Vegas because I got here, you know, as late as 2003, which is, you know, almost 19 years now. But you know what I'm saying is from a perspective of hockey fans, there's hockey fans that go back to the Las Vegas Thunder, you know, these other teams that were here in town. My, my But my, you know, my – my experiences with hockey in Las Vegas has been the Wranglers and it was, you know, it was fun, but it's just not the same, right? We talked about this a lot leading up to the golden Knights coming here is that, you know, you know, it's all, it's all great, you know, having minor league hockey here, whether it's the ECHL, whether, whether it was the IHL, whether it's the, you know, American hockey league, it's all great and fine, but it's not the NHL. The NHL is the premier hockey league in the world. It is a bona fide major league franchise. And so that's why, look, that's why the Golden Knights have, you know, uh, have the moniker of being the, the very first ever major league franchise here. So that was a big part of it. But, but uh, to kind of respond to what you're saying, it's just, 
no, I don't think that I don't think it would have been extended to year four or five as far as the support. I think it would have absolutely waned. Now we kind of understand the unique circumstances that have taken place here. It's a team that was very good in its very first year. They were, you know, were able to benefit from some new uh, transactional abilities, shall we say, when it comes to franchises coming into the, the NHL, right? And uh, it, it, it was very beneficial to the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and to be fair, look, the, 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 uh, uh, all the powers that be with VGK as, as well as uh, Gerard Gallant, they harnessed it and they, they, they uh, produced at the, at the very highest level that they could with this team. And it, took, it went to the Stanley Cup Finals in year one which is completely, again, absurd and preposterous, but it happened, you know? And uh, of course, you know, you had, you had the Route 91 shooting and you had the galvanizing of the community here in the Vegas Valley, uh, which also helped kind of support the team. But th- that all, you know, thrown, in, thrown into it has kind of led up to what has happened here as far as the support with the team. It is massively supported by the fans in which, and Tim, you, and I'm sure Tommy and anybody else that has been in another market where there there have been established NHL franchises, right? Where it's at, you know, it's considered a quote unquote hockey town, like we have, right? And the NHL, I mean, it's just it's it's just unheard of that your your franchise would be in the league, you know, the first two, three, four, five years, and you're considered, you know, a quality, you know, Stanley Cup playoff contending team in all those years. It's just crazy to even think that would happen. So those circumstances combined with the fact that it's a brand new uh, market when it comes to hockey on a scale of having an actual team here. Look, I get it. They've had, you know, they've had exhibition games here and all that. And, uh, you know, this is a place where they've had the NHL awards for years and all that. I, I understand all that. But, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, breaking any news here by saying that it's not like Las Vegas is some hockey town. Okay. Even now. Okay. I mean, I'll be straight up about it. It's not, it's not a, hockey town are there fans here that are you know that are fever that are just you know fever pitch when it comes to the golden knights and are all kinds of fired up yeah there are and uh people are excited about it but you don't have generations like you do in places like uh minneapolis st paul and places like boston and places like detroit places like pittsburgh and 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 across the line and then every city in canada where it's a generational thing right where they've grown up with it where it's been a uh, a fixture in the community for years and where they've been hockey players and their, their, you know, their grandkids are hockey players and their great grandkids were hockey players. You just don't have that here yet. You just don't have it. It just hasn't, hasn't existed yet. So, I mean, you got that, that kind of plays into it too, Tim, that, that brings us all into a very unique and, and uh, extraordinary kind of situation that we have here in Las Vegas when it comes to hockey and when it comes to the Vegas golden Knights and, uh, and uh, look, it's going to be a lot of fun just to see how this all, you know, how everything kind of shapes up here over the next decade or so when it comes to fan support and when it comes to what the franchise can actually do. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's it's wonderful that as, as much grief as I, I give the franchise at times, it's more coming from um, a perspective of, like you said, you know, it, this city and I won't even say the fans that are hockey fans that have had other teams or are fans of other teams as well who've had to uh, suffer the, the ups and downs of a professional franchise, right, Chris? And we've always talked about 
the Vegas Golden Knight fans, the ones that haven't had to, to suffer through something like that, and how it would how they would react to it. I mean, just this year alone, right? We had um, seats being sold cheaper than ever on on uh, ticket ticket broking websites. We had fans complaining about Mark Andre Fleury being jettisoned the way he was, which we we all agreed was wrong. We, we've had the fans in the midst of a they were in the midst of a, what was a three or four game losing streak, and people were just going absolutely nuts one they want to fire DeBoer just in this last two game losing streak they've they've lost they lost the last two some idiot is trying to circulate a fire Pete DeBoer petition I mean you know it's it's crazy that and we don't even have to it doesn't even have to just correlate to to Vegas Golden Knights we've suffered through these idiot fans here just on the UNLV aspect of it so I don't know. Like, I want to know what the reaction is going to be like. I can't wait to see what the reaction is going to be like when, when, when it's a middling Vegas team that uh, is fighting for a playoff spot. And you know what, Chris? As I look at it now, they're kind of in that mode right now, right? The playoffs aren't guaranteed for this team right now. In fact, they're technically one point out of being in a wild card spot, and there's four teams chasing Vegas within four points. So the playoffs are not a for sure thing right now. Do, will they make it? I assume so, but. You know, is all hell going to break loose if this team somehow misses the playoffs this year? I don't know if all hell is going to break loose because they're because now the Raiders are here. You know, from a, from a from a standpoint of uh, you know the entire scope of things in the sports landscape here in Las Vegas, I don't know if that's going to necessarily reaction. But I kind of wanted to to kind of jump on the point you were making regarding the fans here and, and kind of the expectation level, right? Because it is an elevated expectation level. And I think there's a sense, Tim, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like there's a sense of uh, almost everybody outside of Vegas, right, that are fans of NHL teams. There, it, there's a misery loves company kind of feel to it, right? And I can speak to this. Look, I guess I'm going to sound like I'm speaking for all NHL fans that are not Golden Knights fans. I'm a Detroit Red Wings fan, right? You're, you're watching a Capitals fan. So, like, we come at it from a perspective. That's my perspective. I'm not coming at it as someone who's a converted Golden Knights fan. I'm not. I've covered the team, but I'm not a Knights fan, you know? So like, I, I, so I think there is kind of a, I mean, when I say misery loves company and maybe it's a resentment by, by NHL fans out there that say, Hey, you people, you Vegas Golden Knight fans, you haven't suffered yet. You haven't had to deal with a situation where your team's been in the dumps for years. And then you battled your way back and gotten yourself to the mountaintop and got a chance to raise the Stanley cup. And, and gone through trials and tribulations, right? And I'm, obviously, I'm specifically talking about the team on the ice, right? And the organization. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, because it was a horrendous tragedy that took place, you know, basically on the eve of the first year this franchise was in existence. I'm just talking about from a hockey standpoint, right? Like, there's there there are fans in the NHL out there for every that that look at the Golden Knights and their fans, and they say, really, you guys are really like. You no, know, talking about, you know, uh, firing, you know, Pete DeBoer and you're really, you know, you're, you're going to act like you got, you guys have really had to go through something yet as Golden Knights fans. You've only been in the league for five years. Like, you know, like uh, tone it down a little bit. You know, there's, there's kind of that element. I think that's out there. You know, you know what I'm saying, Tim? Like there's that, that, that is out there. So, uh, you know, so, so, but, but to your, to your question and to your point, uh, uh, and, and maybe this is me foreshadowing here a little bit what I think is going to happen here as we roll down the stretch and we get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, I don't think that it's going to be all hell breaks loose and everyone's going to, you know, 
just lose their you know if the if the Knights get bounced and say the you know first or second round of the playoffs. It's just going to be, I think it's going to be just a circle circle the wagons type thing, and everyone is going to maybe not make excuses, but they're going to be out there, you know, giving reasons why they weren't able to do it this year, or maybe there's going to be some built-in reasons why, and uh, you know, with, whether it be injuries or whether it be just you know, uh, kind of how circumstances shake themselves out. There, there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, reasons why. Uh, I don't think they're going to win a Stanley Cup this year. And I think that they're just up against it. And, uh, and that's, you know, notwithstanding, obviously, the positivity that's come out of uh, adding Jack Eichel into the mix and, and uh, you know, the expectations regarding Robin Leonard as the number one goaltender. I think there's just, there's, just, there's just other teams that are just flat out better hockey clubs than the Vegas Golden Knights are. And I think that's what they're going to run into as we hit the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, let's talk about the current state of the Vegas Golden Knights right now, Chris, in the midst of a two-game losing streak. Just this week, we saw the team take a, a what I call a bad L on the road in Phoenix. That's a game you need to win against a, a bad team. You need to win that game. They lose 3-1. to one. And then last night right here in Las Vegas over at the T-Mobile Arena, you just said it, right? They're better hockey teams. Colorado is a better hockey team. I think Colorado last year in the playoffs was the better hockey team. They just didn't win the series. This year, Colorado off to a rough start to open the year, but they have just been on cruise control here in the last two-thirds of the season, and they pick up a nice 3-2 victory, come from behind style, down 2-1 entering the third. Nate McKinnon with the game winner midway through the third period to get him the win. And that that's a better hockey team when you talk about better teams that can win the Cup. Um, let's start with just the, the obvious, and let's start with – Jack Eichel, you know, there's a lot of hoopla surrounding one of the one of the better players in the NHL when he's healthy, and the team's one and five since he's been been activated. But obviously, he's got to get into the, the the mix, right, Chris? He's got to develop the chemistry, and they are missing Mark Stone right now, who's on the on the long term IR. They're missing Martinez, you know, they're missing pieces of the puzzle. But so far, uh, they're struggling with Jack Eichel right now. Well, there's no question that Jack Eichel, when he's right, both from a mental standpoint and from a physical standpoint, you're talking about a special talent in the league, right? A guy that's going to be a difference maker, someone that, you know, you're talking about a player that there's maybe only five, six of those players out there in the NHL, and you're ha you're extremely happy if you're one of those teams out there that has that guy. And Pete DeBoer has been, you know, pretty pretty steadfast and standard regarding his, uh, his belief in Jack Eichel, and, and it's understandable. When it comes to, you know, look, it's a progression for him. He's just better and better as each as each night goes out. And he goes out there and continues to, you know, uh, exert his influence and is and becomes the player that many people expect. You talked about what what it was that uh, is going to be interesting to see exactly, you know, what the pairings are, who, uh, you know, they end up playing with him uh, on, on, on his line, essentially. And uh, and making sure that uh, they're able to get healthy, right? I mean, be, before the playoffs start, because – you know, you, you, it, look, it's, it's a, it's a non-starter. If you have a situation where you've got key guys that are out with injuries and, oh, by the way, one of those guys happens to be the guy between the pipes, right. And Robin Leonard, like it's uh, you know, it, it's over before it starts. If Robin Leonard is not right. And you're caught up in a mix in a Western conference that, you know, just in the Pacific division alone, right, Tim, you're looking at teams that are the third, fourth and fifth and six spots are separated by just four points 
okay? That's just in the Pacific Division. I'm not even talking about the likes of the St. Louis Blues, the, you know, the Minnesotas and the Nashvilles, the, and even the, even the Dallas Stars, right, that are setting all these teams above 60 points and in the mix when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. You just said it a couple of minutes ago. It is not a lot that the Vegas Golden Knights are making the postseason right now. They, they have work to do, and you're not going to get it done, Tim, in the postgame press conference last night. A lot of them that were focusing on the positive things that happened, right, in the last two nights, all right, positive things that, you know, positive scenarios that have taken place, and do you, do you feel good about this situation here and, there, here and there? And I'm thinking to myself, isn't this the NHL? This isn't midget hockey. This isn't ban of hockey, okay? There are not moral victories, okay? We talk about we talk about the you know uh, when we talk about the UNLV runner rebels, right? And, and Mountain West basketball, we talk a lot about you know uh, and, and Mountain West football. We so we've been talking a lot about moral victories the past six months or so, right? Moral that has no place whatsoever when it comes to NHL hockey and and big time you know down the stretch we're trying to make the playoffs hockey. It has no place. There's no place for it. So. I was kind of alarmed by that. I mean, there was people in the media asking the, those kinds of questions after a, basically a two-game losing streak and one loss, which was unacceptable, and the other, which was, I guess, acceptable, but you're still not happy about it, right? And there was, a, there was kind of like a, a lighthearted feel regarding the post-game press conference last night. So I will say that. But to, to expand on it, look, I mean, they're going to be battling with the likes of the, of the, of the, of the Kings, with the Oilers. And, you know, with the Ducks and the Canucks here down the stretch. So, uh, and then and then you've got the teams over in the, in the Central, too, that are below Colorado that are going to be right there uh, that they're going to have to deal with as well, too. So, it, it's they definitely have work to do. And and there's, there's a few things that need to happen for Vegas to put themselves in the best position to be effective and to, and to make a run towards the playoffs. Do I think they're going to miss the playoffs? No. But there is absolutely scenarios, Tim, that could take place where they would. And that would uh, obviously be something that would be extremely disheartening for all the, uh, you know, VGK faithful out there as well as the organization, I'm sure. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio 98, 9 FM, 1340 AM. Ryan, let's go ahead and take our first time out. When we come back, though, we'll stay with the Knights as I want to get into part two with Chris on down the stretch. And he said, that we're going to talk about Panda and Mr. Leonard and what the status is moving forward for the Knights, not only to this season, but in the future. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. And we're back. And we're back, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM, with you every Saturday and Sunday night from 10 to midnight, the longest-running sports talk show in Las Vegas going on 12 years now. Chris, you've been in many, many of those years, and uh, we just keep on cranking through, man. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk sports with you. Oh, no question about it, Tim. Always fun with you and Tommy as well, too. And it always seems... Tim, does it always seem like they're just some kind of, you know, call it breaking news, call it, you know, some kind of, you know, big time shift in the sports world that we end up having to opine on, you know? And, and even even the, the team they play Tuesday over at T-Mobile, the Sharks, kind of still hanging around. I, I mean, 
they're they're on the other way. It looks like they're going the other way, but they're eight points behind Vegas. When you talk about battling for for positioning and, and possibility of making the playoffs, so that game's Tuesday, and it brings up the point of that I saw today that the Knights officially took Robin Leonard off the IR. So I'm assuming he'll be between the pipes Tuesday night. And um, I know you you got into a nice discussion the other day on another show with a, with a big-time Knights backer about Robin Leonard and, and the status of where he stands in this, this organization as far as is he a goalie that's capable of taking this team to the, to the Stanley Cup? And don't get me wrong, I like Robin Leonard a lot. I think he's a good goaltender. I really do. Can he win a Stanley Cup? I don't know that because he's never been put in that position to do it. Let's face it, the guys, I think the longest playoff run he's made is, was, was in the second round. He's a good regular season goalie. He needs to be a great playoff goalie, Chris. And I, I just don't know where we stand on that. But the bottom line is, if you look at the trade market and the trade deadline comes up here in, what, about two weeks, I don't see a name out there that's going to come in and take that job. So this is kind of what you have to run the rest of the season with. What are your thoughts on Panda? Well, see, Robin Leonard is a fascinating discussion and for a number of reasons. And uh, you talked about uh, the discussion I had on, on sports radio here in Las Vegas. I'll talk about it straight out. I mean, I had a chance. We had uh, a guest on, uh, Daniel Granu, okay, very prominent uh, poker player, obviously someone who is a Vegas Gold Knight super fan who is all in when it comes to Panda, Tim Oglesby. He is, he is absolutely convinced that that was the right move to make when they, you know, obviously chose Robin Leonard over Marc-Andre Fleury as the number one goaltender here in Vegas. And he gives a number of reasons that are compelling, uh, some of which I disagree with. Now, look, Robin Leonard, okay, is an excellent goaltender. Let me first start out by saying that. There are a number of goalies, okay, across the history of the NHL that have won Stanley Cups that are not as good of a goaltender as Robin Leonard is. Here's the thing, though, okay, and this is a word that I use with him and that I've talked about it regarding his entire career since he came up to the NHL around the 2012-13 season. Inconsistency, okay? Mm -hmm. There are times where Robin Leonard is unreal, okay, where his goals against average is among the best in the NHL. And there has been spots where he's, you know, uh, where he's been a goaltender that's been in the organization and he's been in a, and he's been in a number of situations where they've I, I don't know. I think it's the Matthews trophy. I'm not sure exactly what the name of the trophy is. It's not the Vesna. It's the other one where they give it to the team that has the lowest amount of goals in the NHL. And he's won it twice. He won it last year, of course, being a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, in which obviously Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vesna trophy. And then he also won it, I believe it was 2015-16 season when he was in New York with the Islanders. So he's had seasons where he's been outstanding, okay? It's kind of puzzling to me that he's never been an all-star uh, in that time. And look, I get his popularity contest and all that, but he's never been an all-star, okay? He's never won a Vesna trophy. When you take a look at the top 50 goaltenders of all time, right, and even the top 20 goaltenders of all time, you look at their resumes, that's part of the resume. What else is part of the resume? Stanley Cup championships, right? How many cups have you won? He doesn't have one of those either, okay? He doesn't have a Vezina trophy. All right, so, look, I get when Vegas Golden Knights fans come at me and they say, oh, he's just, the guy's a great. He's just not getting the recognition he deserves. He's one of the best goalies in the league. You know, absolutely. At times, Robin Leonard is one of the best goaltenders in the league. The only problem is it's not consistent. 
and it hasn't been consistent. And is he playing well now when he's healthy? Absolutely he is. He's, and he's good. But there's this kind of idea out there among Vegas Golden Knights fans that Robin Leonard is just like this, you know, he's been this superstar goaltender throughout his entire career. It's just not the, the way it is, okay? The guy has been in a ton of situations where he's been platooning with goaltenders. He was platooning in Ottawa, you know, with Anderson. He was platooning, you know, at, in Chicago, obviously with Crawford. He was platooning in some spots at some time when, when he was in, uh, you know, in, in situation with uh, even in, in, with the Islanders, right, where he was platooning as well, too. This isn't Robin Leonard's career, and he's been, by the way, it's not, it's not like these guys been in the league for three or four years. You know, the guy's been in the league for almost a decade. So, like, uh, you know, there's, I think there's kind of a misperception regarding Robin Leonard and, and, you know, what exactly he is and what exactly his career has been. Now, throughout this entire diatribe I just went on, I didn't even talk about any of the stuff when it comes to off the ice, right? And, and myself, as well as everybody out there here in Vegas, I'm sure is ultimately sympathetic to a lot of that stuff, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the situation with alcohol that he's had, whether it's the mental health issues that he's had and that he's dealt with and that he's battled through and he's, and, and he's battled through admirably to become one of the best hockey players in the world. I mean, I cannot, I cannot laud enough praise on him for being able to do that. And, but the fact of the matter is there has been issues, you know, from a stamp, from a personality standpoint with certain franchises, right? And he has run into certain uh, developing situations, I guess you could call them, with all these organizations, which is why he hasn't been able to, you know, turn into one of the greatest goaltenders of all time or be a guy that's mentioned when it, when it comes to – I mean, think about this, Tim. Is, is he a guy that you're thinking about as a Hall of Fame goaltender right now? I mean, are you even thinking about him as a top 25 goaltender of all time or even a top 50? I was doing this the other day, Tim, because I was getting a discussion, obviously – with, uh, with BS, with Shaq, as, as well as Daniel Negreanu, okay? And I ran down the list of names as I looked over that I had done research on on the top 50 goaltenders in NHL history, okay? And there are just some monstrous names with accolades and a resume to boot across the board, Tim, okay? That, I mean, we're talking about Vesnas, multiple Vesnas, multiple Stanley Cups, multiple upon multiple All-Star games, you know, generally regarded from Patrick Waugh to Ed Belfour to, to uh, you know, Martin Brodeur to Dominic Hasek. I mean, you go down, I mean, it, you, you think, you think, okay, I can only name maybe 20 goaltenders, right? Or 25 or 30 maybe that I think when Lavin Leonard's playing at his best that are better than him. No, I came up with like 50. Okay. So like there, there's not I mean, it, this, this, uh, I feel there's an elevated perception and view of Robin Leonard that I don't think is necessarily the reality. Now, now after going through that entire uh, soliloquy that I just went through right there and rant, essentially, that I went on, uh, Robin Leonard, if he's, if he's right, they can win a Stanley Cup with him. The, the Vegas Golden Knights can absolutely win a Stanley Cup, and, and Robin Leonard will be a big part of it. Okay? But there's also a scenario, too, where they could not win in the playoffs, right? They could get knocked off in the second or first round and it not be Robin Leonard's fault, you know, and it not be because of the goaltending. It's just that Robin Leonard happens to be there and, you know, he may take, he may take the brunt of a lot of the criticism 
you know, but it might not be his fault. It, there, there's a number of other factors that need to come into play when we talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and what they have to do. And you talked about it as far as uh, where they sit right now. You know, you've got teams like the Calgary Flames ahead of them. You've got the Los Angeles Kings ahead of them. Teams that, by the way, have, you know, games in hand when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights. So, uh, like I reiterated before, they, they have work to do. And it's not just going to all rest on whether or not Robin Leonard is considered a great goaltender or is a great goaltender. He could be very good to great, and they still may not win come the spring. Well, that's what happened last year. It wasn't his fault in that playoff yeah. series. Montreal won because Vegas couldn't score, and he played great, I thought. Here's the, here's the thing, though, and Negrano said had made a great point in that interview was, what front office allows you to have two goaltenders like that to cause the problem to begin with? I, I understand when they picked him up last year, basically it cost a million dollars to have him and you had a great one, two system, but coming into this year, you had to pay Leonard $5 million to be here. Flurry was carrying a $7 million cap hit. Something had to be done there. So already you're putting um, these fan favorites of Marc-Andre Fleury against Robin Leonard, depending on how he does. Right. And, and when we look at the future, Chris, and, you know, the deadline's coming up and you have teams like Edmonton and Washington that are talking about possibly going out and picking up another goaltender because they're not comfortable with who they have for the postseason. You know, Vegas doesn't fall into that trap because you look at the way Leonard set up. He's got four more years left, Chris. Next year, his cap hit goes up to $6.5 million. So he's, he's our guy. And, and you're right. I like him, too. I do. And I think if he's hot, he could definitely take us to the cup. But then again, he's been with four different teams. In what, Chris? His career has been with over four, four or five teams. So there's there's great things about him, but then there's also negative things that you have to look at as well. And I think basically the front office of the, the Golden Knights have painted themselves into this position that Robin Leonard is going to be the goalie that wins him the cup, right? Wasn't there a six-year window or something like that that uh, old man Foley proposed a six-year – or four, was it four or six years? I don't remember what it was, but – he said we're going to win the cup. Well, Leonard's going to be the guy that's got to do it now. And, and you know, we're locked. Yeah, in I think his... it was four years, wasn't it? It was four. four. Yeah. Well, now we're locked into his contract for the next four years. You know, five years, twenty-five million. This is year number one. So, uh, this is the guy. If we're going to do it, this is the guy that they're going to have to ride with. I just, and, and for me, I don't think there's enough support there from the fan base because they're still so upset over Mark Andre Fleury. What was that ridiculous rumor two weeks ago that? Oh, why don't we bring Fleury back? That. that stupid that's just stupid don't even we shouldn't even think about that you know the guy obviously he's been very out front and vocal about his issues and i i applaud him for that he just doesn't get the support i think he should get and that's that's sad because anything short of winning the cup chris for robin leonard will be an unsuccessful stay in here in las vegas at least that's the way it's going to be portrayed No question about it, Tim. And uh, you talked about, uh, you know, that chatter that was that was going down a couple weeks ago. Look, that I kind of leaned that to, you know, kind of a, a social media firestormish kind of stuff, you know, combined with we are here in the in the market. Right. We're here in Vegas and uh, we're covering the team. So we're, you know, our, our ears to the ground with stuff like that. I never thought it was going to become a reality just for the for the simple fact that I don't think either party wants to have any reunion right now. I think that both sides when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights as well as the as well as Marc-Andre Fleury I just I think that uh, there's just too much uh, uh, water under the bridge when it comes to that but that being said look 
and we've been talking a lot about the goaltending, right? When it comes to Robin Leonard and, and you know, Laurent, uh, LB has, you know, he tried to fill in as, you know, as, 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 be- as best as he could. Uh, Leonard only played, what, two games this month? And the Golden Knights, you know, going, you know, basically two, three, and one in the games that he has missed. So it is, uh, it's not, I, don't, I don't think goaltending is the major deal. The bigger problem, Tim Ugglesby, is the simple fact that this team can't score goals. I mean, they just can't. I mean, since January first, the Golden Knights are—you know—they're just scoring just six point three percent of their shots during during play when it's five on five. It's the second worst in the NHL. I mean, that you just, you just can't have that. And they're only seven point five percent of their shots in all situations, which is the worst in the league. And look, this is a team that you know what's crazy, Tim. This team gets chances. They're just not getting goals. This has been a problem for them. By, by the way, it's not just this season. This has been something that's been going on for the past three years. Especially as they go, you know, go deeper in the playoffs, and they end up facing better teams with better defenses, better goaltending. You know, they're they're basically set up. It's a, it's a you know a series type deal, so teams are ready and uh, and are you know just laser focused on you. And look, I, I get getting a top line center like Jack Eichel is gonna gonna really help out with a lot of that. But he uh, he's only played five games at this point, so he's still got you know he's got you know kind of got to get his legs under him and figure things out. Uh, you talked earlier about uh, the situations regarding Max Pacioretty, his injuries, as well as Mark Stone missing significant time over the past two months. And Mark Stone, look, there's still no timetable when it comes to Stone's return to the lineup. So that's put a major dent in the offense. I mean, this is kind of all coincided with other players that have just gone flat out cold, right? Chandler Stevenson, great start to the season. Absolutely been, has disappeared over the past two months. He's got two goals and like seven points. In the last 17 games, you got Dodonov, you got Rowley Smith, you got Carlson, all combined for just nine goals on 128 shots during that stretch of you know the last two of 17 games. I mean, all this stuff colliding together is not a good recipe for the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, on the positive side, look, the underlying numbers, you know, when they're when they're at full strength, they're playing uh, at full strength, five on five, they're still pretty strong, right? They, I mean, they outshoot their opponents. They outchance I mean, there's a ton of high danger chances for the Vegas Golden Knights when they're there. And, they, and they, look, they have an edge when it comes to expected goals and scoring, and scoring chances, you know, like, a, like you know, via the natural stack trick, all that kind of stuff, you know. That, you know but uh, I'm telling you, these problems that they have when it comes to just overall scoring and just putting the puck in the net are, uh, are, are raising their head. And, it, you know, and you know as well as I do, when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're not going to win a bunch of games uh, one to nothing, right, or two to nothing. You're going to have to be able to score score goals to, to win these hockey games and to win these series. And if they're not putting the puck in the net, then, you know, Robin Leonard can just be just out of his mind great between the pipes or, you know, or, uh, or Broussois can be just outstanding. It's not going to matter because they're just going to end up being, being on a losing end against these, these quality hockey clubs. You know the likes of uh, you know the Los Angeles Kings or the Calgary Flames or the Colorado Avalanche. I know McPhee very well, Chris, from his time in Washington. I basically watched him build a team that won the Stanley Cup. What a year after he left, two years after he left. And the thing that I've never mm-hmm. agreed with about George McPhee was when he falls in love with a player, right? It's almost like a fault to him that. 
he overpays at times, I believe, for what you're getting on. Or he sees talent that's that's cultivating itself, but at some point it just stops. And this is not to uh, crap on any player on this team because that's not why we're here. We're just presenting our opinions here. And what I see is I see Mark Stone becoming an injury problem, right? And, and what, what they got him for, hey, look, when he's healthy, he, he's top 10 player in the game, no doubt about it. But the last two years, he's become an injury issue, right? Uh, when I see Pacioretty, guy can score goals in buckets, he has an injury issue, right? So then you look at where, where the extensions came from from the original team. And this is the biggest one I have a problem with. William Carlson, Billy the Kid, eight-year, $47 million contract, right? And they upped him up, or they, they re-upped him. Right now, he's making $6 million a year, Chris. He has seven goals. And, and I got into a nice little discussion online with a guy who said I was, for lack of a better word, picking on him. And he didn't like the way that I, I crap on the team like it's Carlson's fault. I never said it was Carlson's fault. I said, for a guy who's making $6 million a year, you better expect more than seven goals. And he's like, well, it's the other things this guy does on the ice. I go, that does, it doesn't matter what he does on the ice. He's not there to be a great checking forward. He's there to put the puck in the net, right? And I know he may be hindered by the injuries, but he wasn't on those lines anyways. He, he, you know, if you're going to be paid like that, you need to perform like that. And he's not performing. He didn't perform in the playoffs last year, Chris. Along with the rest of them, he didn't perform much of the last half of his last season to begin with. And it only gets worse in terms of, of contract-wise. Next year, he's due to make, what is he making, seven? So it goes back down to six. But my point is, McPhee loves him. And, and this is a contract we're saddled with right now. So unless he finds that spark and turns it on and becomes the goal scorer that they're paying for, we're saddled with this contract here for a while. You know, it's, it's a hindrance to the team. And let's, let's talk about the future. They're not exactly sitting in cap heaven. They, they have a lot of problems, Chris. A lot of problems coming up here in the next few years. Well, you talked about William Carlson. Let me just be completely blunt about it and basically piggyback what you just said. There's no question. He is flat out underperformed, without a doubt, okay? Because think about the perception of William Carlson, you know, early on in this franchise's existence, right? William Carlson comes in, fan favorite, right? Wild Bill, we love him. He's out there, he's lighting the lamp. Has a, you know has what what uh, the second year of the of the, uh, of the team's existence he, he goes out there and is the leading, leading goal scorer on the team and everybody's viewpoint even people that are you know hardcore hockey experts thought you know what this is the ascension of William Carlson this is when he you know starts to turn into not just a good NHL player but he can turn into like you know a top uh, you know a top you know a completely NHL All Star every type of every type of year kind of player, right? And he's going to continue to get better and better. It just doesn't happen, right, for William Carlson. That's not how his career has kind of gone. Has there been spots where he's been able to score goals? Absolutely. He's been a, a, a better important part at times for this team offensively. Yeah, he has over his career. But, you know, fast forward into 2021-22, there's no question that he's underperformed. And he's a reason why that this offense has not been able to light the lamp as much as they, as, as they wanted to. Now, to, to kind of address what you're talking about regarding the future of this franchise, let me tell you something, Tim Oglesby. If they did miss the playoffs here in a few weeks, the organizational fallout from that would probably be unbelievable. And, and by unbelievable, I mean it would be all over the place. 
okay? Because let's be straight up about it. This is perhaps no team in the league when it comes to the front office that's willing to be as aggressive and to kind of switch things around and to go different directions as the Vegas Golden Knights are when it comes to wanting to win a Stanley Cup championship. They fire Gerard Gallant, you know? They bring in Robin Leonard. They bench Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, they end up trading Fleury. They go after the likes of Pacioretty, Stone, Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, you know, just to show that, look, we, we're, we're, we're throwing out all the stops. We don't care. We're going to try to – you talked about McPhee, right? I mean, this is a franchise that has earned the reputation in its early existence that they're willing to do whatever it takes. And so make no mistake about it. They would make drastic changes if they were to make to miss the playoffs this year or if they were to underachieve even in the Stanley Cup playoffs, like we could bounce in the first round against a team that they should beat. You know, so – I mean, look, look, I, I think there's uh, there's possible pitfalls that are all over the place right now for this organization and and make no mistake about it. You know, yes. Are they getting crushed by injuries? They are. And by percentage right now? Yes, they are. Are they, you know, uh, one of those teams that only 11 of the remaining 29 games are against teams currently occupying a playoff spot? Yes, they are. Which means you're going to be playing good teams here down the stretch. So you're going to have to figure it out on the fly. And you're gonna to have to they're gonna they're gonna have to they're gonna have to perform. And they're gonna come out and the rubbers gonna to have to meet the road when it comes to this Vegas Golden Knights team. And uh, and uh, we're all gonna see, you know, for with our own eyes exactly what it is they're gonna be able to do down the stretch here. Tim Ungles Chris Wynn, he waves sports, Fox Sports Radio, ninety eight nine FM thirteen forty AM. We're gonna wrap up hour number one. Vegas Golden Knights, by the way, in action twice here in town. This coming week, Tuesday night against the San Jose Sharks, the nice Thursday night affair. Don't lose Boston. to the Sharks, Tim. Don't lose, Don't lose to the Sharks. No, you're right. And then an ESPN matchup Thursday night against the Boston Bruins over at T-Mobile, Anaheim Friday on the road. So we'll have to see what the Vegas can pull away with those three games this upcoming week. Chris, you, are, are you not going to the Beantown game, man? Come on, Thursday night? I will if I'm. I've, I've got to check out my uh, my other work schedule to make sure that uh, it's closer with. Uh, but I will if hey, if I if I'm if I'm not working my other gig, I will be certainly there uh, covering that game. So definitely going to the San Jose game on Tuesday. Well, let's see what the the Knights can do. Six points up for grabs this week. Each one's very very important as the month of March continues on in because uh, we're down to essentially two months worth of hockey before the postseason. So. Time for Vegas to, to start accumulating points as the team gets healthier. It'll just put them in a better position come end of April. So in hour two, we're going to talk some NCAA basketball as March Madness officially around the corner. And if we can sneak it in, we might start it off. Actually, we're going to start off hour two with a little Major League Baseball. I want to get Chris's thoughts on this ridiculous MLB lockout in uh, going on right now. Is it going to cost us games? We'll talk about that. After the timeout, hour two, Heatwave Sports on the way. Fox Sports Radio. And we are back, Hour 2, Heatwave Sports, Super Sunday Night Edition. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, joining you tonight as we take you into Monday morning. And we're going to start with a little Major League Baseball to open Hour number 2. Chris, the supposed deadline 
will be tomorrow. If there is no agreement, opening day will be pushed back. So we've already lost spring training games because the uh, the league would like to have at least three three weeks of spring training before they start the regular season. Uh, there's, as far as I could tell, in these supposed meetings, they've met for what six or seven days straight now. Today was the best, most positive day that they've had, but there was like really no ground that was um, being able to be moved on this. Hasn't been a good negotiation. It bring, definitely brings us back to shades of 94, which you and I both remember. Uh, in my opinion, it hurt it hurt Major League Baseball for many, many years because of that work stoppage. And that was in the season, which was worse, the worst thing about it. But still here, after just a great 2021 Major League Baseball season, a great postseason, now we're looking at a situation where opening day may be affected and further beyond that. Just your thoughts on, on the labor negotiations and what do you think is going to happen here? Yeah, it's extremely disheartening to kind of see how this has all happened, given that uh, also another caveat too, Tim, is that uh, we're coming out of a pandemic, right? And we're trying to get it back to normal. And you would not think that Major League Baseball or any professional sports league for that matter would want to have something like, you know, a labor negotiation kind of, uh, you know, throwing a stiff arm, you know, for a lack of a better term, into what's going down here. Look, there's been over two months now where you've had both parties looking past each other, offering proposals and kind of counter-proposals that have pretty much gone nowhere, you know, whether it's Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association. Now, of course, you know, that spring training that has supposed to have taken place. Instead, you've got uh, a lot of Major League Baseball players going back to their roots, going back to, you know, their college uh, the places where they play college ball or, or even their high schools and are training. Yeah. And look, you've got, you know, people like Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller and Zach Britton and, you know, Francisco Lindor, Garrett Cole are, are some of the players that are in attendance along with, uh, you know, and, and, and on the, uh, the owner's side, you've got Dick Modford from the Rockies. You've got the Padres owner, Ron Fowler, and uh, of course, Hal Steinbrenner from the Yankees on the league side. Now, the problem is, is there's so many complicated issues that still need to be resolved, right, Tim? We're talking about arbitration and pre-arbitration pools. We're talking, you know, about minimum salaries, which has become a major issue. And I think that's something that could be fairly negotiated and they could come up with a, a solution that would be, you know, beneficial to the parties at hand. They're just not able to get there. Service time manipulation and tanking, right? Players particularly are upset that you've got all these rebuilding teams in Major League Baseball, and it's not just one or two teams. It's like, you know, we're talking about like eight to ten teams every year that seem to be rebuilding and in a, in a situation where uh, they're so bad that they're not out there bidding for players when it comes to the free agency, right? It, it seems like every year in the past five to ten years, there's a free agency supply, and, and, it's, and there's a lot of guys out there, but there's teams that – aren't going out there and getting them because they don't care because they're not, they're trying to tank. So you've got that on, on the uh, horizon as well, too. You've got revenue sharing and CBT, right? And you know, the, uh, the competitive balance tax, you know, where that sits at and you know, the owner's latest proposal, you know, offered a kind of a slight raise throughout the life of the next agreement, but it's not where the players want to be. There's a lot of the, you know, complicated issues that people that aren't like hardcore baseball fans, they, they don't give two you-know-whats about when it comes to the details. They just want to see baseball being played out there on the field. But in my opinion, look, I think there's there's blame to go around on both sides here because 
you have to be able to want to put your sport in the best position possible, both from a financial and from a, a viability standpoint and from a survival standpoint and from a promotional standpoint, right? Like it's baseball. Look, we, a lot of us who are hardcore baseball fans, we grew up with a game, you know, we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. We have no problem with the three hour games, right? We think it's just part of the game. We have no problem with, you know, uh, just kind of uh, just the general structure of the game. That's not the way it is with some of the younger people out there in the younger generation. They have, they have their own ideas about what they think that, that it should be. And, and I think that kind of comes into play too here with what we're dealing with. And, you know, when you have that collide with the business environment that right now is in Major League Baseball, it turns out to be problematic. And we're seeing that kind of come to fruition with this uh, lockout that's taking place. And now it's not just about losing spring training games, right, Tim? It's about losing regular season games. And then that's when I think, you know, you're really going to start to see it uh, and see people feel it. And you're not going to be seeing the owners feel it. See, that's the thing, right, Tim? You're not going to be, like, in the short term here, the owners are not going to be the ones that get hurt. It's going to be the players. And so you've got that looming over this whole thing, too, which is, again, disheartening. And it just makes me wonder if there is going to be uh, a decision that's going to be made here in the next uh, matter of hours, essentially, as you pointed out, being that the trade deadline is tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen, then? In your opinion, do you think... Look, I, I don't think a miracle is going to happen, and they're all of a sudden going to agree on everything tomorrow to save opening day. I think there will be some type of a, a uh, postponement. Now, what's going to happen is how long does it go? Because baseball has always been one out of the out of the four, right? When you talk about the big four, NFL, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, I think you've always had MLB and NHL just kind of trailing the pack, right? But when when something negative happens, it really affects these leagues more so than something negative happening to the NFL because the casual fan as you put it, uh, doesn't care. doesn't really care about baseball like that. It is what it is. It's not like football where anybody can sit there and watch it and talk about it. When it's baseball, you have your hardcores like us. Then you have people that kind of follow it, but they could do without it. And then there's people that just don't straight care about it. So a postponement isn't – nothing is going to be good in, in the long run for any sport to have a postponement. But for baseball, I think it hits double time. Do you think this gets, or when this gets done, when when and if this gets done, how long are we looking at, Chris? I, I, I would think maybe two weeks would be fair. But if it starts going any longer, I mean, you're really, you're talking about losing, uh, cutting down games from 162. I, I, I've seen some of these player sides of it saying, hey, we'll only play 140. We don't care, you know. But the, the owner side is like, well, you're not getting paid for 162 games. So there's a lot of problems here. What do you think it's going to be? Well, I hate to say it, Tim, but I kind of take a pessimistic viewpoint, <clears throat> excuse me, to how this is all going to shake out. Because, look, Major League Baseball has set that soft deadline, right, to reach the deal. But fans should – I think they should be very concerned that uh, if camps don't open by May 3rd – or, excuse me, March 3rd, then opening day is not going to be opening day. All right? I mean, think about this. During the restart, right, of the pandemic season back in 2020 – but, you know, it just wasn't enough time. The 23 days between the start of summer camp, which was the 1st of July, and then opening day, July 24th, it just wasn't enough time to get ready. And that's at least according to, like, a lot of players, right, and, and a lot of players' representatives. So in order to begin the 2022 regular season on time, 
And uh, with less concern, by the way, for injuries, you know, you're talking about four weeks of spring are likely going to be needed, according to league sources. That's what they're saying. So that doesn't mean that the sides can't agree on a shorter spring training. They probably can, like they did two years ago. But to keep opening day on March March thirty first, I mean, it just it just doesn't seem like it's possible. And if the you know, and if and by the way, if a deal isn't struck by early this month, this month I mean March, coming up, uh, players will receive that five thousand dollar check from the union, and they'll be they'll and they will need to be ready to either play fewer games than the one hundred sixty two, or kind of a condensed schedule, the modified roster limits in order to kind of fit in all the one sixty two. So it's pretty much, I mean, that's like the worst case scenario. So. Uh, I mean, look, Major League Baseball made its latest proposal to the, the American League Players Association yesterday, right? Which is the 71st day since the league locked out the players. And Major League Baseball made up, you know, pretty small tweaks, Tim, regarding several elements of the deal. Um, and they added $2 million a year to the, you know, the competitive balance tax threshold, you know, in 2024, 25, and 26. They offered two choices for uh, minimum salary structure, increased its bonus pool for pre-arbitration players from $10 million to $15 million. And they also had the opportunity for teams to earn two draft picks by, you know, uh, cultivating higher achieving players who spent a full season on the club's roster. I mean, there's – I mean, again, we can get back to – go back to, you know, uh, player salaries, you know. Uh, they want players to get paid uh, – the players want younger players to get paid faster. Right. So that's like kind of a big part. That's going to be one of the big sticking points, I think, when it comes to Major League Baseball and the Players Association. So I again, I go back. I, I just not I, I feel I don't want to be, you know, uh, Debbie Downer and say that, you know, I think the season's going to be completely lost because I want to hope that that's not the case. But there's no reason right now for me to be optimistic, considering what's transpired over the past two months or so. With, with respect to the Major League Baseball negotiations. It's been bad all around. Now, with that being said, Chris, if there is a postponement uh, start time, you know, we're we're, uh, we're close with Jim Gemma, the media director over at Las Vegas Aviators, AAA Baseball, PCL. There will be a season starting, and I believe April 5th is opening night, correct? Yes, it is it, that that exactly the schedule right now. So, so, I mean, look, I mean, you asked you asked the question. Does it does it seem like the sides are getting closer? I don't think so, Tim. Right? I mean, you know, the union kind of hoped that the you know Major League Baseball offered be you know. I mean, Rob Manfred talked about it right last week. He said it would be a good proposal. You know, instead, you know, the players were. It's almost like they were just you know completely irate. You know, and just were were just universally just just uh completely upset by what went down you know the lack of movement on any you know substantive you know core economic issues you know since the negotiations began in, in march 2020 it's been march 2020 tim you know and as you know it's just and it's it's really i mean i i mean i, I don't know if i can say this later but it's really pissed the players off you know what i mean like you know who you know believe that the financial you know they believe that what they were offering from a financial standpoint was viable for all the owners and for it was, and it was, and it wasn't being greedy or anything, right? I mean, that's, that wasn't their, their idea. And, uh, you know, and, and they look, this is a league, by the way, that's, you know, had, it has expanded playoffs, right? Uh, you know, from 12 teams compared to the league, you know, 
there, there's been, you know, on air, you know, there's been discussions of on uniform advertising and stuff. So it's not like there hasn't been ways where the league has found ways to, you know, generate more revenue. So I, it's, I, there's, I, I think the players, you know, may get the shaft here, but it's, but it's, you know, it takes two to tango and uh, both these sides have to figure this out or else we're going to be in for, uh, I mean, you brought it up. How screwed and, and upset were all the Montreal Expos fans back in 1994 when they probably would have, you know, been the favorite to win the World Series and end up getting hosed out of a out of a postseason, you know, and out of a season, period. So, I mean, it was just uh, – that was bad back in 1994. And it took, obviously, a few years to get to get out of that rut. What's going to happen here if you got, uh, you know, this kind of uh, discourse going on back and forth where – these these uh, sides can't uh, seem to be compromised. Yeah, I'm with you. I I assume it gets done too. It's just it's a matter of how long it's going to take, and I don't think we're starting on time. So, our opening day, Chris, is going to be Tuesday night, April 5th, over at the Las Vegas Ballpark, as the Reno Aces come to town and take on the Aviators. And, and you know that's always a good time out there. But that's going to be your and I opening night. It's going to be Triple A baseball. Yeah, we're gonna get a chance to uh, you know head out to uh, the Las Vegas ballpark and uh, enjoy some uh, candied peanuts and 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 uh, it's not gonna be the show you know but it's uh, it's still darn good you know our guy yeah. Jim Jim over there and uh, the Aviators do such a tremendous job that's gonna be fun. Absolutely. So let's turn our attention to with essentially March happening here in 24 hours. March Madness on the way. We have conference tournaments starting here in Las Vegas, coming up with the West Coast Conference very, very soon, followed by, of course, the Mountain West Conference, the Big West. The, I don't even know that they, the WAC, whoever still plays their tournaments here, there's, there's more than enough basketball to go around. But before we look at it from a national landscape, let's talk about it locally, since you were out at Thomas and Mack Center last night for the UNLV-Boise State game, a game that the Rebels came up short in. Um just your thought. Let's just give your overall thoughts right now on the on the program itself, coming into a, a part of the season here, Chris. Where, you know, I'm not talking NCAA tournament time hopes, but definitely some postseason tournament action can be had here if the Rebels can can close the season on a nice little run here. Maybe some NIT. Yeah. Well, what was the anticipation, right? When you think about UNLV runner L basketball season, you thought, you know, look, they have a first year coach in Kevin Kruger. You want, you would hope that. Uh, they were able to take baby steps and kind of bring this program around into the right direction, but we didn't really have any hardcore expectations, right? We didn't think that this is a team that could, you know, possibly win the Mountain West tournament at the end of the year. Was that something that we thought? No, I don't think so. I think that it's been accelerated the expectations when it comes to running Rebel Hoops here in town because of what this team's been able to do this year. Now, look, they've had their ups and downs. They had some losses that they shouldn't they, that they shouldn't have, okay, to teams that they shouldn't have fell to. And then they've had some wins that have been surprising and have been, and, and have been pretty solid. And, uh, by the way, they had a pretty solid, you know, streak going up into the game last night against probably the best team of the conference in the Boise State Broncos. So a lot of reasons to be positive if they're UNLV running Rebel fans out there and, uh, and a lot of reasons to be happy with Kevin Kruger as the head coach here. And uh, so there was a lot of sunshine and rainbows prior to the game last night, Tim, down there at the Thomas and Mac. And, of course, a Saturday night game, uh, a little bit unfortunate in my opinion that, uh, and we talked about it, you know, at the start of the show, that there's just so much other stuff going on 
in Vegas that, uh, you know, the spotlight wasn't able to completely be on UNLV and, and their basketball team. And, uh, and pretty cool, too, by the way, that the uh, Lady Rebels were there during the game and got a chance to be recognized by the Thomas and Mac faithful for them outright winning the Mountain West Championship there. Lindsey LaRock and that team, pretty impressive to see that they were able to do that. But uh, I, I look, I kind of had some fun on Twitter before the game on Friday night and uh, said, look, it, uh, it'd be great to see, you know, uh, 10, 12,000 fans out there at the Thomas and Mac for the game. That ended up not being the case. It was more or less probably around half that, maybe a little bit more than half that. But it was a rowdy and raucous crowd, too. But uh, you're playing against one of the best teams in the Mountain West, like I pointed out, in Boise. And uh, exciting basketball game, back and forth. I mean, it was uh, uh, great action across the board. And a very tight game up until about the final three, four minutes of the basketball game. And then Boise State was able to kind of flex their muscles and uh, establish themselves and uh, pretty much score at will against UNLV. And despite the fact that uh, Bryce Hamilton had a pretty solid game and they were able to get uh, – Williams going a little bit and and uh, a couple other pieces. It was just uh, too much Broncos and not enough UNLV running Rebels. And uh, Boise State was able to come out with a win. Now, uh, does it put that much of a damper, I think, on this Rebel program right now where we sit? Probably not too much, Tim. I still think that uh, uh, whether it be people that cover the Rebels here in town or whether it be the fans, I still think they expect them to be a factor when it comes to the Mountain West tournament coming up here sooner than later. And I think there's a lot out there that uh, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic regarding this team because Bryce Hamilton is clearly one of the best players, not just in the Mountain West, in my opinion, but he's one of the best players in the country. And the, despite the fact that last night against Boise State, who's, again, is we're talking about a quality basketball team here, UNLV's backcourt, other than Bryce Hamilton, was just uh, not effective offensively last night. It was just a really rough night for those guys. They made three baskets. Uh, the, the other five guards on the team had three baskets in the game, you know, and three of those guys didn't score at all. Uh, I believe it was, uh, yeah, just three guys didn't score at all when you're talking about Josh Baker uh, and then uh, the other two guards as well, too, uh, Keyshawn Gilbert as well as uh, the starting point guard as well, too. So they had like they had all kinds of issues scoring from a guard standpoint last night. But uh, I still don't think that puts a damper on. I think they're still a team that uh, could absolutely throw a monkey wrench into things. And, uh, and we don't have to get too crazy and say that uh, they're going to win the Mountain West tournament. But it's a possibility. Let's put it that way. When you look at this team, 17 and 12, Chris. They have to win the Mountain West Conference Tournament to go to the big dance. Even a, even a shot in the finals isn't going to put them in. So you're, you're sitting at 17 and 12. You have two games left. Wednesday night, home against Wyoming, who, if it isn't Boise State as the best team in the Mountain West, it's Wyoming. Very good basketball team there. A team that UNLV, you know, is going gonna, gonna, to, I assume, is going to struggle with in, come Wednesday night. A very good, very good basketball team. In Wyoming, then they close. Looks like Friday at New Mexico, a team that the Rebels should beat. A team that the Rebels um, have beat. They beat them by 30 earlier in the year at home. So even if let's just say they win both games, Chris, 
they they win senior night Wednesday. They win at on the road Friday at New Mexico. Puts them at 19 and 12. Is that good enough? You know, you, you assume they can win a game in in the tournament at least. Is it is 20 the magic number to get into the NIT? I remember when 20 was the magic number to get into the Big Dance. Times have changed now. Is 20 enough to get them into the NIT? I think it does get them into the NIT. Your discussion regarding Mountain West Conference and the NCAA tournament, I think it's a two-bid league, really. I mm-hmm. think I really think it is. It's, uh, um, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, both Wyoming and Boise State getting into the tournament, I guess, and then if you got, like, a Colorado State, right, or a San Diego State, you know, or a UNLV wins the conference tournament – which is not – look, this isn't likely. What I'm saying is not likely to happen. But if it did, I mean, I suppose I could I could find a way to see, you know, the Cowboys getting in, uh, being that they're sitting right, right now, what, 23-5. and five, right, They'd be 24-5 and five overall if they beat UNLV on Wednesday. Um, but Boise State, I mean, look, it, it, we talked about yesterday's game being kind of a measuring stick game for UNLV. Well, obviously, Wednesday is going to be a measuring stick game as well, too, because they're playing, you know, another – team that's been outstanding in the Mountain West in the Wyoming Cowboys. So uh, that's going to give us another chance to see, uh, you know, where UNLV stands and kind of a mindset that UNLV is going to have <clears throat> going into the Mountain West tournament. Because, look, I mean, I expect them to win that game against a, you know, 4-11 in-conference New Mexico team going up on Friday. But, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to go into the Mountain West tournament with uh, you know, with a one and two record essentially, or even a, a possibly an zero and three record if you do lose that game in New Mexico, so uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a true test, I think, for UNLV both from a uh, in game and on, on the basketball court standpoint, as well as kind of a mental standpoint for them as uh, they kind of wind down the regular season here. But uh, yeah, I don't see any, uh, any scenario where you would get three teams from the Mountain West in the NCAA tournament. But uh, when it comes to the NIT, yeah, I think that. UNLV absolutely is going to be in consideration when it comes to the NIT. And I guess, I mean, I guess, Tim, that's an accomplishment, right? Considering what we've been talking about with this program for the past six to seven years. I mean, I, I got to be, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm got to be flat out with you, right? And uh, I'm sure you concur. Last time I remember this UNLV team playing in the postseason was when they lost to Alan Crabb and California, right, in the NCAA tournament. I don't remember any other postseason uh, actions that they've had. And this is coming from somebody like you who has covered the team, you know, every single season and been to almost every game. So I, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know how excited I would get as someone who covers the Runner Rebels. And I don't know how excited, Tim, Runner Rebel fans and students would get if they got an NIT bid. I'm sure, and as expected, Kevin Kruger and the team would be, you know, would be look at it as a stepping stone. You know, look, we're this kind of you know gets us to a feel where we're like you know making strides in this program that we're going to the NIT when we have it's a program that hasn't gone to anything for you know a number of years here. But uh, I just don't know how excited Tim the uh, the Run and Rebel fans would get about uh, an appearance like that. Really, the tournament coming up is going to be exciting when you look at. You said it, Boise, Wyoming, Colorado State, all with 23 wins right now. Uh, the Rebels, the home team, even though it's not supposed to be uh, 
that way, but they're the home team. And then the San Diego State, right, Chris, a team that's very successful playing on our own home court, uh, sitting there at 18 and seven, just kind of milling around basically when you look at it. And a team that could win, the, you know, they could go on a run and win this tournament. And it really throws a wrench in the Mountain West postseason plans because I think you're right. You get two for sure. You get a third. If not, the NIT is going to sit there and possibly have three teams from the Mountain West going into the postseason play. Chris, and am I far-fetched to say the San Diego State can't win this tournament? They can, right? Oh, not, not at all. You're, you're completely right there. I, I can absolutely pick up what you're putting down, Tim. Here's the deal. And what's kind of compelling about San Diego State, Joel Lenardi right now has San Diego State as the last four out of the NCAA tournament, okay? Mm-hmm. Not the NIT, the NCAA tournament. That's San Diego State, who's not even in the top two right now in the Mountain West. So you and I, you know, we just had a discussion. We're talking about this conference, not, you know, Getting two teams in the NCAA tournament, Joe Lenardi has them as first four out. Now, that means they're out, obviously, uh, you know, as of right now in his mind. Okay, that, that's not any kind of like, you know, exact, exact uh, calculation or anything. But just the fact that they're even in the discussion by, uh, you know, someone who's a talking head, who's a, you know, a, a essentially, a, you know, an NCAA tournament you know, uh, wired in guy. I'm not going to call him an expert. I guess I could call him an expert, you know, but. That discussion, the team that's not even the top two right now in the Mountain West of making the NCAA tournament, maybe we have to rethink, Tim, uh, what we think about uh, as far as the Mountain West and maybe the national perception of what uh, they could do as far as getting into the big dance. I look at San Diego State, and they play tomorrow night in Wyoming or at Wyoming. Wyoming's undefeated at home, Chris, uh, this season. So this is a, a big-time game tomorrow night for the Mountain West. And if you're looking at maybe some value, and I obviously I haven't seen the odds because I don't think they're out, but odds to win the Mountain West tournament. I think if San Diego State loses tomorrow, their final two games are against Fresno at home and then at Reno. They should win those games. That'll put them at night. That'll put them at 20 and eight heading into the tournament. That would still be fourth behind Boise, Wyoming, Colorado State. There has to be a little value on San Diego State, I think, to win the tournament. And maybe we we could uh, stand in line at the at the book before we head down to the Mountain West tournament, Chris, and put a little on the Aztecs to win the Mountain West tournament. You're not going to find me doing that, Tim, because I got burned back when uh, San Diego State was a number two seed in the tournament and ended up uh, getting getting an early exit. So I think I'm still kind of uh, sour when it comes to the Aztecs on that front, but you're exactly right. Like this is a team that uh, could absolutely be live. And, uh, and you're absolutely right, by the way, too, tomorrow at, uh, at uh, the arena there in, uh, in uh, the arena auditorium there in Laramie, Wyoming is going to be an interesting game to watch there with the uh, Cowboys and the Aztecs going at it there on uh, CBS sports network, because you're talking about two teams that are absolutely going to be in the mix and uh, could win outright the mountain West tournament coming up uh, sooner than later. Give me a guesstimate on Wednesday night, Thomas and Mack Center, senior night, UNLV, Wyoming. Wyoming coming off a, a tough matchup. I'm assuming a tough matchup tomorrow against San Diego State. Is it upset city night? Could it be upset central over at the Mac on Wednesday? How many people are going to be there for that, Chris? 
I'm thinking there should be around 8,000 plus there for that game. Look, it's a, it's a midweek game against a quality basketball team. Uh, I expect the student section to be out in force because you're talking about, you know, the last home game of the regular season. So uh, an opportunity, you, you don't have any of the, you know, the uh, stuff going on with the COVID mandates or the uh, mass mandates or any of that stuff going on now. So that, I think that plays a factor into people's willingness and uh, acceptance to get, to roll out there to the Thomas and Max. So I think it's going to be a solid crowd. Uh, I, and I think that UNLV is going to come to play. Look, I, I, I would expect, and uh, look, I'm not going to every practice. I don't know uh, exactly what Kevin Kruger and his coaching staff or have other approach to uh, every developing situation is, but uh, coming off of a loss to a, a quality team where they were, uh, they had real scoring issues in the backcourt. I think they're going to try to rectify that situation. At the same time, going to try to ramp up their defense, get their defense back to what it was. I mean, their defense is really what got that winning streak going and what got uh, so, ma- so many uh, uh, people fired up about running Rebel basketball here as of late. It's been what they've been able to do from a defensive standpoint has been a big key for them. So, uh, that's my expectation that uh, that that's going to be a, a big part of it. And uh, I re- I give the run Rebels are absolutely live on Wednesday. And I think that uh, they can actually pick up a, a W against Wyoming coming up in the game on Wednesday. Wednesday night, Thomas and Max Center, 730 is the tip off. So an earlier start, this one will be on FS1 as the Wyoming Cowboys, the top team in the Mountain West come or one of the top teams in the Mountain West come to the Mac for senior night over at UNLV. If you can go, should attend. It should be a good matchup, like Chris said, as we head into not only March Madness, but the Mountain West Tournament coming up in two weeks' time right here in Las Vegas. And when we come back from our final timeout, we're going to talk national scene, the national landscape, a crazy weekend here for the top 25. Chris and I will break it down after this short break. It's E-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. And we roll into our final segment here on the Super Sunday Night U.S. Sports Fox Sports Radio. Just a quick programming note: we are not on next weekend. How about that? So off next week, back the following weekend for Heat Wave Sports every Saturday and Sunday at ten o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio. And we just talked about the UNLV basketball and the local scene as we move into what is deemed March Mania, March Madness, the craziness. And Chris, that craziness seemed like it started already. It started Saturday when the top six teams in the country pulled an L on, on a on just a, a – never been done before. Six, The top six teams in the country lost yesterday, and it continued today with number 22 Ohio State losing to my Maryland Terps. 75-60 over on CBS. Great to see – my boys back on national TV and in celebration, Chris, of one of the better teams that I've ever seen, the 2002 national champion Maryland Terrapins led by Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, Lonnie Baxter, and of course, Gary Williams. So we always throw out our favorites on the show. Those uh, Maryland teams are some of the best ones I've watched. And it's nice to see him get a big win. But overall, Chris, a crazy weekend for college basketball. 
No doubt about it, Tim, right? Talk about uh, late February madness across the board. The Zags go down to St. Mary's. Look, the Gales are no slouch, and uh, that's, you know, the big-time rivalry there in the West Coast Conference. But they lose by 10. Colorado at home just waxes Arizona. Then you got the matchup in the SEC, right, where you got uh, Auburn, uh, you know, a national championship contender. They go get down against uh, the Volunteers of Tennessee there in Knoxville. Michigan State, my boys, Tim, get the victory over Purdue at East at uh, Breslin Center in East Lansing in a game that goes down to the wire. You talked about Kansas, another team that loses at Baylor. Baylor, again, top 10 team in the country, so, you know, no, no horrible loss there for the Jayhawks. And then, of course, uh, to round it out as far as the top six, as you pointed out, that Kentucky-Arkansas matchup, the Razorbacks get the win. Uh, you know, a lot of discussion watching that game on CBS and, a lot of talk of, uh, you know, those two story programs. Arkansas has a national championship, of course, back in 1995 with Nolan Richardson. And, of course, you know, all the national championships Kentucky has. But uh, pretty cool scene there, that game. Although a little bit strange to him because there was no handshake line after that game. And all it was was Eric Musselman. Of course, a lot of us here in the Mountain West know all about Muss, right? All it was was Eric Musselman out there raising the roof and getting all the Razorback fans fired up there in uh, Fayetteville for that uh, win as they are able to knock off, you know, a perennial national championship contender in Kentucky. So, you know, Duke was the first team, a uh, uh, highly ranked team to win in a, a game against the uh, Orange, against Syracuse. They got the win. But uh, then another upset uh, at number nine is, to, you know, the Red Raiders go to uh, TCU and they lose that game. So, uh, and then we had a top 25 loss today. Where you had Ohio State go down to uh, the Terps. Fear the turtle as uh, Maryland gets the win against Ohio State. So what's this all add up to, Tim? It adds up to a lot of teams have a chance to win the national championship this year. Look, we always say it seems like every year there's, what, two or three teams that can win a national championship. And then there's the also-rans, you know, the teams that are out there that are going to fill out the rest of the dance card. Not the case this year, man. There are all kinds of teams that can win a national championship. And I, I mean, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, there's teams that aren't ranked right now that could win a national championship. And, you know, there's, and that's been pretty evident by, you know, the competitiveness of all these programs, whether it be in the big 12, whether it be in the sec, you know, when you've got games like that, that Texas West Virginia game that goes down to the wire, you know, and uh, you know, the, the Wisconsin Rutgers game that goes down to the wire and, you know, and like like we saw, you know, with the uh, matchups, whether it's Kentucky, Arkansas, and of course Auburn, Tennessee. So there are teams across the country looking for a national championship. And what makes it so intriguing, Tim, is that the team right now that's still at the top of the rankings, and that's Gonzaga, right? They'd be the first team from a non-power five conference to win a national championship since UNLV in 1990. So that's going to be one of those storylines too, that we're all going to be looking at come March madness and come the big dance and see if the Bulldogs can actually be the team. All those great Gonzaga teams, right, Tim, all these teams that, especially lately, recently, right. In the last 10, 15 years that have been right there on the doorstep with a chance to win the Adam Morrison teams, those they've been right there. Haven't got it done. Can this 2021, 22 edition be the first team to actually do it? Just go back a year, Chris. Right? Just go back a year. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. They, they were there. I, I look at 
I look at the top 25 and right at the top, and I, I don't perceive it like this big change. I don't think Duke jumps six spots number one because they, they were the ranked seven and one. So uh, when you look at the top 25 and you have Gonzaga and Arizona sitting at the top, man, when was the last time you really remember two strong West Coast teams sitting there in those positions, right? There's always been a West Coast bias. And I live on the West Coast. I know there's been a West Coast bias. I was a Rebel fan growing up. I know there's always been a West Coast bias, right? So the way that this is going to play out, in my opinion, and I think both these teams could win the national title, no doubt about it. I don't, you know, I don't want to call shenanigans, but something tells me these two teams meet before an opportunity to play in that final game. So whether it be in the Western Conference or Western region as a one in it, because here's the thing. I think Gonzaga is okay. I think they can get through. I think they win the West Coast Conference. They're going to they're gonna solidify themselves with a one seed. I, Arizona, I'm not so sure about it. It's a tough road to hoe in the Pac-12 Conference. I don't think that they're going to lose enough to drop them out of a one seed per se, but it could happen, right? It could be the, number, the top number two seed. Do they slot them geographically? They put them in the West and have a one-two uh, regional eight to, to play Gonzaga, Arizona, or do they ship Arizona out maybe to the Midwest so you can get that final four matchup with Gonzaga and Arizona? I just don't see there's any way these two teams will play for the national title. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that they would try, I think they would keep them in the West, right? If they yeah. did bounce them down yeah. to the top number two seed because uh, that's kind of, you know, traditionally what the uh, selection committee has kind of done. That's kind of the direction they go. So you bring up an interesting point, by the way, regarding, you know, top two teams, you know, are happen to be prominent, you know, predominantly Western teams, because we talked about this a lot, right, Tim and Tommy, when Tommy's on, we talk, especially because we're here in Vegas, right? And UNLV, you know, is we talk about their relevance and, you know, where they stand when it comes to, you know, the Western part of the United States from a hierarchy of college basketball. And I talk, I bring this up all the time, right? There should never, there shouldn't be other programs uh, more prominent than UNLV like Gonzaga, right? Or, or look, Arizona, UCLA, you know, I get it. Okay. Maybe even if you're talking about an Oregon or a, or a Washington, you know, because of the fact, the fact they're in the Pac-12, or, uh, or, or, or some other prominent teams in the Pac-12 as well, too, given that UNLV is not yet in the Pac-12. I think it's going to be in the Pac-12 pretty soon, Tim. But the point being is that, yeah, there is there is kind of – it's not really West Coast bias or an East Coast bias. It's just a, just kind of the way things have kind of shook out with uh, these teams. I mean, you think about national championship real contenders, right, in the last couple of decades – it's only really UCLA. Like it's not. I mean, there's not. There hasn't been any other teams really. I mean, you're not going to call Baylor a West Coast team, right? You're not going to call Texas a West Coast team. You're not going to call, uh, you know, uh, any team. But you're not going to call Oklahoma a West Coast team. So like, you're not. You know. So there just isn't. Uh, there hasn't been uh, teams that have necessarily been kind of in the mix when you're talking about the Final Four or being, you know, true national championship contenders. So. Uh, that's why I think it makes it so intriguing that you have these two teams at the top and a team like with the likes of the Wildcats and the Bulldogs having a real shot at winning a national championship. And you see them both sitting, what, 23-2 and two and 24-2 at the top of the standings. So that's, that's, that's super cool, I guess, for the West Coast. But uh, it, 
plays right into what I've just been saying, though. I mean, there's it's just wide open. I mean, you could you could see all kinds of uh, scenarios presenting themselves where you know you can anything you can make. Basically, what I'm saying, Tim, is you can make the case for all these teams in the top, you know, in the top twenty, in my opinion, getting to the final four, with the exception maybe of a Murray State, right? Uh, even though Murray State's just killing it, and they're you know at twenty six and two. Nobody's sitting back and saying, you know, the Racers are, are going to be a Final Four team. You know, it's not like the Dayton Flyers were. Okay? It's not, it's not, that's just not – you just don't get that feel yet on this team. And that's kind of the reason – look, it's, it's, it's also a little bit of disrespect, too, that they're 26-2 and two and sitting at 19, but just the reality. It's just the way it is, college basketball. So, uh, I mean, for example, the team that's just one spot ahead of them in Arkansas, right, 20, 21 and six. Uh, than they are, obviously, a team like Murray State. So uh, while there's biases out there all over the place, there still is going to be a ton of parity come big dance, come the big dance. So check this out, Mr. Chris Wynn. This is the postseason schedule for the city of Las Vegas conference tournament style. The West Coast Conference will begin their tournament this Thursday over at the Orleans Arena, women's basketball. The men start Friday. Oh, okay. So it is this week, this week then. Wow. Okay. Yeah, starts on uh, the 3rd. So March the 3rd, Thursday, carries on into the following week where we'll have our men's and women's final on the uh, Tuesday. So the men, Gonzaga-St. Mary's on Tuesday for the winner of the West Coast Conference, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, San Francisco Don's there, Tim. Come on now, not gonna get yeah. any love to uh, Bill Cartwright and his boys out there. Yes, I'll tell you about San Francisco. Gordon is a is an absolutely wonderful coach, and I remember you remember. I know you remember this that we sat in that T-Mobile media room after uh, one of the tournaments, and we really liked the, what what he was doing for that program. And then, of course, you know what happened. The the world ended so he's he's slowly built a nice team there they're just not at that point but they're exciting and maybe maybe they cause a little ruckus there in that tournament we'll see i just don't think they're good enough to win it but they're, they'll be an it bound no doubt about that so what leads into that though right chris is they play on tuesday the 8th which is the start of the whack the big west the mountain west on wednesday the pac-12 begins that wednesday as well so Four tournaments running at the same time in four different venues: Thomas and Mack Center, the MGM, the the Dollar Loan Center out in Henderson, the new one, and then the Wack will be over here at the Orleans. So craziness slowly going to be here about nine days away, Chris. And it just kind of leads into what we were talking about before, right, Tim? It's just the complete ridiculousness and craziness in a good way, right? When it comes to basketball here in Las Vegas when it comes down to tournament time. And by when I say tournament time, I'm talking about conference tournament time because there are just a plethora of conferences that, uh, that have their, their tournaments here. So it just, I mean, look, and uh, what's kind of, uh, kind of wild is that, you know, we, yes, we're the home to conference tournaments all over the place. We're the home to all these tournaments during the season, right? When it's holiday tournaments, whether it's mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, whether it's Christmas time as well too, but we are not yet home to the NCAA Final Four, right? And we haven't, you know, hosted any uh, regionals either when it comes to, you know, later in the NCAA tournament. 
Obviously, that's all about to change, right, Tim, with now Allegiant Stadium being here in Las Vegas. And, of course, now we have a venue in T-Mobile Arena, which is a you know, state-of-the-art, twenty essentially you know, almost 20,000-seat arena where you know you you can and it's not a home arena of the of a of a of a team so you can have regionals here you know so it's just it's just again not a matter of if it's just a matter of when but it's you know we already think of uh you know and and obviously with the nba summer league and everything goes on here with basketball it's basketball it's a basketball crazy city but it's only gonna get crazier it's only gonna get crazier because we're we're going to have final fours here and we're going to have you know, regional championships, and we're going to have, you know, and it's going to continue to be the home to a number of uh, prominent uh, conferences when it comes to their postseason tournaments. Well, Las Vegas will host their first ever men's NCAA tournament regional in the year 2023. That's official. It'll be over at T-Mobile Arena. As far as previous to that, there was a women's regional back at the Thomas Mack Center in the 90s. That was the last time that the city of Las Vegas has hosted any type of regional uh, postseason tournament. So 2023 over at T-Mobile, we'll see our first NCAA regional and then leads into the final four. So this is already locked up through the next few years. Indianapolis was last year. It's New Orleans this year. The city of Houston gets the final four in 2023. Back out west of Phoenix in 2024. Texas again in 2025 with San Antonio. And then Indianapolis gets the final four in 2026. So we could be looking, Chris, at a final four at Allegiant Stadium anytime between 2027 and 2030. And here's the deal, right, Tim? It's not like you and I are just sitting back here and we're just propping up Vegas, you know, and just, you know, just pumping up our city and just, you know, going over the top, uh, bloviating about Las Vegas. Well, you and I, we're just stating facts, man. We're just talking about what's coming here. We're talking about, you know, what exactly – the landscape is from a from the standpoint of you know look this is uh our city that you know we've called home for many years and is and it's uh it's quite frankly just a privilege to be here and, and being and being able to kind of experience all these things that just uh continue to just pile on and pile on here in this great town and uh and when it comes to basketball look i mean it's uh i mean, I mean we talked about this many times I did not think the NHL was going to be the first team here. I thought it was going to be the NBA for the precise reason that it's a UNLV basketball town. Okay, It was a UNLV basketball town. It was for decades a UNLV basketball town. So it was just a natural expectation that the NBA would be the first team to come. And, you know, that was kind of surprised that that hasn't happened. Now, look, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen pretty quick here. But it's just – yeah, it's. I mean, when it comes to hoops, and this town, it's an You've seen it with the uh, with the Las Vegas Aces. You've seen it with Athletes Unlimited, right? The 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 brand new league that's taking place. It's here in Vegas, and the games. Look, I understand it's at a, a smaller gym, you know, uh, when it comes to a venue. But they're putting those games on national TV, Tim. Those games are on national TV. So you know, and and where is it? It's here in Las Vegas. So I mean, it's just. Uh, again, I mean, it may sound like I'm just, you know, pumping up Vegas and, you know, just trying to, you know, just wax poetic all things Sin City. But this is, it's, it's just, it just happens to be a reality that, uh, that it's all blowing up here and it's, uh, great to be around. Chris, as I sit here with my email open, just across my desk, and I've already got approved for the Mountain West. So the Big West 
credential was approved. So you might want to check that email, my friend, so we can plan our week out coming up here in a few, uh, nine days, actually. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out the new venue, obviously, in the Dollar Loan Center there in Henderson, right down there downtown. Looks like it's going to be a spectacular setup. I haven't had a chance to be actually on location there. I've seen some pictures of it. Obviously, you're talking about the Big, the big West Tournament's going to be there, focused there. So uh, we'll see some basketball. Uh, my good friend uh, is going to be the head coach there for the uh, the Vegas uh, Nighthawks. So Mike Davis is a good buddy of mine. Get a chance to uh, bounce around town with him a little bit. And so it's going to be really cool to see some indoor football again too, Tim, there and uh, and see how that all goes down. So it's going to be a cool new venue, and uh, they're going to they're going to tip it off with the Big West tournament. Well, Chris, it's been a, a wonderful show as always. Let everybody know where you're at social media wise, and I know you got a couple a couple spots on on a local radio coming up this week as well. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Really appreciate it. It's always great to be part of the Heat Wave Sports family. You can find me on Twitter at Christian Win. Find me on uh, also on Instagram at CWin77, on Facebook at Christian W. Wynn, and uh, all over the Las Vegas airways from uh, KDWN, where I get a chance to be on uh, SportsX Radio a lot, to also Pushing the Limits, his new show over on KSHP with Brian Shapiro. I jump on with there there as well, too, and uh, a couple other spots as well, too. So it's, it's always uh, great to join you, and uh, have a great week, everybody. Thank you, sir. Of course, we'll talk again as the tournament happens. I assume you'll be on our selection show. So we'll, we'll talk then, Chris. As always, thank you again, man. Absolutely. You guys have a great week, Tim. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. For Chris Wynn, special thanks to Ryan. First night solo did an excellent job. We look forward to working with Ryan here uh, in the future as part of the Heatwave family as well. I'm Tim Ungles. We have a great sports week. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time as we are off next week. Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.